Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. If you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. And I want to say, I'm not going to blame this on Pastor Nick, but I do want to say uh, there's a couple of messages that I was going to be preaching out of, and um, they were in John chapter 1. So after last week, Nick basically said, hey, you know what? This is going to be a good series. And in my mind, I was thinking, this this isn't a series, <laughs> but I think it's going to be a series now. Um, since uh, we're in John chapter 1, we might as well uh, stay in John chapter 1, because it just speaks to where we are. It's too easy. Um, it's, it's not about doing the easy thing. It's about when God is speaking, listen. That was a good place for an amen. When God is speaking, listen. Amen, right? So a- as you're turning there, though, <clears throat> last week we didn't really lay the groundwork for John because John really starts off by proclaiming differently than the other Gospels who Jesus was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing in the beginning was made without Him. And we get to verse 14, and we realize that the Word John the writer is speaking of became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we know he's speaking of Jesus there. But in between there and later on in the passage, he introduces us to a man called John the Baptist. It was a man John sent from God. And he came preparing the way of the Lord, preaching repentance. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he baptized with water. And I'm not really getting into this part today as much as as he introduces the king, the Messiah, they come to him and, and they ask, who are you? And he boldly proclaims that he is not the Messiah. He's not Elijah. He's not a prophet. But there's one coming after him who will baptize with fire. Because the whole idea of him baptizing was all about authority. They wanted to know who authority is he operating in. And they said, well, I'm not Christ. I'm not, a, I'm not Elijah. I'm not a prophet. But, but you, you don't want to miss the one who's coming after me. Well, he does, and just a few verses later, Jesus shows up to be baptized by John, and John has a revelation of him being the Lamb of God. So, and I want to just start reading, and I'm going to read a rather long passage here, then I'm going to break this down for a few minutes, because the very next thing that happens after Jesus is introduced in this passage, he, he starts calling disciples. He starts putting his team together. He starts calling people to follow him. And that just struck me as I was reading this a few weeks ago. Um, The initial sermon title was going to be this, and and, uh, Pastor Nick gets me on this all the time too, because I'll give Pastor Nick a sermon title earlier in the week or the month, and he'll say, okay, well, let's start with that one, because it's going to change three or four times. He already knows it. So we, we were going to call this when Jesus calls your name. But in, instead, it's just too easy to understand that as disciples, we see something here that these disciples show us that I believe need to be represented and seen in our lives. So as, as Jesus is calling his disciples, let's read this. The next day, starting in verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, 
Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought them to Jesus. And Jesus, looking at him, said, You are Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now in in this passage, uh, first of all, can I pray again? Lord, in these next few moments, anoint my words. But Father, I pray, open our ears. Lord, I pray that you open our hearts. Lord, so many times when we hear your word, and, and we sense your Holy Spirit and that conviction or that push or that loving way that you desire to chisel, Lord, we take that as guilt and condemnation. You did not come to condemn the world, but that through Jesus Christ the world would be saved. So let us hear your word today, Lord, and not run, but embrace. In Jesus' name, amen. What, what is he saying? <clears throat> What's going on in this passage? Well, first of all, what I've, <clears throat> and I say this every week, I've just got to stop saying this, you know, because 2020 was 2020. Can I get an amen? 2021 started off like 2021 enough that nobody even thinks of 2020 anymore, right? 2020 was a blur. Um, when you think of isolation, you're not even thinking about 2020 anymore, Okay. It, it was just, it was a past. I, I want to encourage you that you're not defined by your past. I want to encourage you that you're not defined by 2020. And I keep saying every week, I'm not going to talk about 2020 anymore. And here I am talking about 2020. But it's because I don't want you to be defined by 2020. Because see, a lot of times what, what we build our future on is our story. What we build our our future on is our present ability to define or explain our story. But I promise you, God is always speaking to our future. And and even here at Grace River, listen, we're all about transformation. That's, That's why we exist. So that every generation, young and old, every generation can experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ in every area of their life. Not just one little area. Not just Sunday morning, but every area of your life. Now, why is that important? If there's one thing that we were good at before 2020, that I believe God used a mirror to show it to us in 2020, but for some of us, we just got better at it. And that is we compartmentalize. We make following Jesus a very small part of our to-do list. Just, just hear me out. Don't, don't get mad at me yet. There'll be, there'll be room for that in a few minutes, I assure you. Um, we, we get good at compartmentalizing. Maybe it's just the men in the room. I don't know. But we're good at it, guys, right? Because we, we're, we're sort of trained, go to work, do your job, be what you've got to be there, go home, be a dad, be a mom, do what you've got to do there. Students, go to school, do what you've got to do there, and then when you get out of that class, you can, you can really be yourself. Or when you get away from work, you can really be yourself. And then we all come to church, and we, 
we're who we are here. And you're, you're all so nice here. But then when we get out of this compartment of our lives, who are we? Now I say that because you can even exist that way for a while. But at some point, somehow life happens to open all those doors at one time. And people realize, you've got a lot of closets in your life. And, and yes, we, we, we see this. We see the sign on this one door that says Christian. The problem is it can't just be a door in your life. Because see, am I making sense? Um, it's sort of like having a hobby. Um, it's one thing to have a hobby. So some, some people have hobbies. They, they talk about, what do you do for a hobby? I, I enjoy playing golf. I go out and play golf a little bit. Well, playing golf a little bit and winning the Masters Two different hobbies, right? You know, one's a hobby, one's you live it. Okay, you you might you might take on a hobby, uh, a hobby of basket weaving. Um, that that basket weaving may be great, but you're not going to open a store at the Pottery Barn in Williamsburg unless you start making a lot of baskets. Okay, I didn't say these were good analogies, by the way. What, I, what am I saying? We, um, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, that our walk with Christ is a hobby rather than a lifestyle. Our, our walk with Christ becomes something we do when we have the time or, or we hit a crunch time. We hit the wall. And so we, we run to that hobby to relax, get re-energized, but then we put the golf clubs back in the car and we move on to the next part of our lives. Now, again, that's not to condemn. That's just to set up where we're going this morning because Jesus did not invite us to compartmentalize. When Jesus calls us, he does not call us to make him a part of our lives. He calls us to follow him. He doesn't call us to surrender a little bit. He calls us to follow so what does that mean? And, and we've, I mean, I'm setting this up a little bit more than I intended to, but, you know, we, we did a series last year, and it's just, it's just, it's our whole idea of transformation that as it's lived out, you can see these in different parts of people's lives. Because first we believe in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He saves us. Then there are things in our life we need to be healed of and, and set free from. And, and I'm not speaking that to you or on you. What I'm saying is, when you really start getting closer to, to the Lord and he starts speaking to you, you'll realize there's some things that you think you have a hold of, but they've got a hold of you. <laughs> <Huh>. Make sense? <laughs> so, <laughs> what does that mean? There's a lot of stuff I need to be delivered from. Ask my wife. If you want to get a good picture of someone's spirituality, ask her spouse. Okay. I don't, I don't see her in here right now, so that's not a bad thing. So if you can't ask her, we're all right right now, right? So what does it mean to be a disciple then? Let's talk about that because that's, that's one overarching term that, that we as disciples, we, we all will be saved, set free, healed, delivered, equipped, empowered, serving. You know the word sitting isn't involved in there. Um, do, you, do you realize that the word getting so comfortable you're not doing anything is it on that list? Why? Because although you're sitting now, don't, don't stretch, don't worry about it. Although you're sitting right now, that's just a posture so we can hear what God is doing. Because when you get up from this place, it doesn't end when you walk out the door. It's lived out. So what is it? I'm already taking up too much time. What is it to be a disciple? It means to be a learner. It's an ongoing process. I'm not going to bore you with the Greek this morning, but it literally comes from a term that we use with mathematics, which means you learn how to put things together. Two plus two is four. There's a process, and it continues. You learn how to follow. You learn how to put things together in your life. And a lot of times before you learn how to put things together, you have to learn how to take things apart. 
So being a disciple doesn't all happen at one time. It doesn't happen in one service. It's an ongoing process. Discipleship is about movement and action and walking things out. That's why Jesus didn't say, sit down and listen. He said, follow me. He said, follow me. And we see in this passage that I read, we don't have all the 12 disciples. We don't have all of them called in this one specific passage. But what we do see is a pattern that I believe is, is really, really neat when you map it out. We, we see that, that five different disciples are called in this specific passage. The first disciple was Andrew. Then it talks about his brother, who's not really named, but, but we really believe, and I, I believe also, and we understand that it was probably John, the writer of John, because typically they did not write in the first person, so he would have never mentioned himself. As a matter of fact, the only time John mentions himself is the beloved of Jesus. That's sort of like saying there were all the disciples, and then John, John referred to himself as Jesus' favorite. Okay, So if you are going to talk about yourself, it might as well be the most favorite of Jesus. Okay, But that's, we believe that John was the second disciple. Simon Peter, Andrew's brother, Philip, and Nathaniel. Now, it's not so much that this order is important. I just want you to see a process that's taking place. Now, relax. I don't have nine points. But I, have, I do have nine observations. How many believe that a preacher can get through nine observations in 20 or 25 minutes. Okay, good. <clears throat> I, I, I promise you, I'm not going to be as long as, as, as you're praying for right now. The first thing that we read in this passage, and, and listen, it says the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and they looked, and Jesus was walking, and John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now get this picture. John the Baptist is standing there with two of his disciples. He points to Jesus, and they start following Jesus. Now here's what that means for us. Disciples have to give their allegiance to Jesus. A disciple gives their allegiance to Jesus. You can't follow two masters. And there's a couple things very quickly that I see here. Number one, I didn't see John the Baptist get bent out of shape. One of the first things, and I, I usually, I definitely say this if I'm talking to preachers when I talk about this, a bunch of preachers, and I don't mean that in a condescending way, but um, preachers are very unique animals. They're sheep herders. They're ranchers. And you don't steal their cows, you know what I'm saying? But this isn't about proselytizing. This is about pointing people to Jesus. And it's also, and here's what I tell pastors, listen, when you take someone as far as you can, don't get ticked off if they go to another level to continue to grow. Because the last thing you want are people that you're trying to mature, but they all stop at the sixth grade because you can't get them to the seventh grade. And now you just have a bunch of immature junior high churchgoers who learn how to attend and do junior high things but never come to full maturity in Jesus Christ. And, and even, even worse, now they're following you and not Jesus. So, so even as disciples, and we'll hit this again in a moment, even as disciples, it's important to get people following Jesus, not you. Because it's not about you and listen, if there's a power struggle that you'll never um, finish battling until the day you take your last breath, is you. You're your greatest enemy. Okay? You can, you can blame it on Satan all day long, but you are your greatest enemy. And so it's when, when we get people coming to a Bible study, or when we get people coming to church, and they start growing in the Lord, if our mindset is to keep them under our leadership, you have missed it. Because John the Baptist didn't say, hey, excuse me, guys, excuse me. Um, you can follow Jesus, but make, make sure you pay your tithes 
to the John the Baptist ministry, you know, every week. And don't, don't forget to attend all my uh, Riverside messages. No, John the Baptist came preparing the way for people to follow Jesus. But here's the thing that we learn from the disciples. They weren't following a man. Let me ask it this way. Are you following a man? Or are you following Jesus? Are you following a group? Are you following Jesus? Are you, especially here in the Western, Western culture, and we've just walked through this in the last four months, are you following a political party? Are you following Jesus? Now that's hard because we get things mixed up between God and government. We get things mixed up, and I know we've got a lot of military in our church. You might be here and you might be listening Guys, you know I love every one of you, men and women who have served and who serve to defend and protect this country. This is a powerful country. But God loves the world. And although I know there are many who would want to Christianize everything, that's not what Christ came to do. It's his kingdom come and his will be done. We are workers in the kingdom he is coming to prepare a new heaven and a new earth. Now, are, are we to just sit back and wait? No, we are, to, we are to build relationships with people. We are to build businesses on godly principles. But listen, I, wanna, I, wanna just, I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. Don't get wrapped up in following a political group in the name of Jesus because you'll find yourself following a group and not Jesus. Now, I know what I'm talking about. You're not acting like it. And I might sound a little arrogant, but I've, I've been around the block a few times. I know what it is for people to fall into a situation where they wake up one day and they realize, wow, um, I've, um, I've been all excited about this, but they stopped talking about Jesus a long time ago. Their, their, their desires for freedom changed a long time ago. And by the way, I'm not talking about one particular party. I'm talking about everybody. People used to ask me, Pastor John, you sound like you don't like a specific group. I'm like, no, I don't like everybody. I'm not prejudiced. I don't like anybody. You know? I love everybody, but there, there are people out there who are not following, and, and I, you can't make them, but you don't have to follow them either. Okay, I'm spending too long here because we can also, we need to make sure we're not following a specific lifestyle or a, an agenda. Um, again, we live in the greatest planet on the nation. But when our tagline is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Nothing wrong with that, but I promise you, you'll be happier following Jesus even if you never find life and liberty. Okay? What is the other thing they found? Well, disciples have to have their allegiance toward Jesus. In other words, there's only one king. I'm following him. And I'm going to, I might only get halfway through this today. I'm not sure. But when you give your life to Jesus, you are saying, I will follow him. Let me tell you why this has to be reiterated from time to time on a regular basis. Because in a very emotional setting, people will make this decision. I, I, I joke about this a lot. It's really not, it's, it's more serious, but because it's hindsight, it seems a little funny. But my dad was a pastor. I was raised in a Pentecostal background. My dad was an incredible communicator. And he would preach hell hot every service. I got saved every, every time I went to church because I knew what I had done between services and I was convinced that I was going to bust hell wide open. And when my dad would start preaching, by the time he got to the end of the service, I know over time it had to get embarrassing for him because I was always the first one in the altar making sure I was ready to go if I were to die that night and if Jesus were to come right then. 
But what was I doing? Why could I go right back out and do something stupid the next week? Why? Because I was making decisions based on emotions. Pardon the expression, but a lot of us have had the hell scared out of us. And we make a decision to stay out of hell right there, but it's not a heart decision. It's, it's based on emotion. See, allegiance is, is us having this conversation right now and, and helping you understand something. This could cost you something. This will not be easy, but I demand your allegiance. Jesus didn't say, follow me on occasion. Follow me. So as disciples, we, we make those kind of decisions. Now, we're all saved by grace. Amen. <laughs> we're all saved by grace. It doesn't mean when you're following Jesus, you don't make mistakes. What it means is every day when I get up, when I leave this place today, when I sit down this afternoon, it's never on my mind, who am I following? What are the plans in my life? What, what are the goals in my life? They're always about following Jesus Christ. So the, the second thing we see very quickly is not only was there an allegiance, but disciples had to evaluate their desires. Those sort of dovetail, I know, but, but here's what this means. Jesus turned to them and said, what are you seeking? In other words, you, you've left John, now you're following me. What exactly are you, are you wanting? What exactly is it that you want out of this relationship? And they said, Rabbi, immediately a, a tenure of, of great respect, teacher. They said, we want to go where you are. And he said, well, come and follow me, and you'll find out. He, he didn't say, come and follow me, and this will happen, and this will happen. He said, come and follow me, and you'll find out. Again, that goes back to allegiance, but it, it helps us constantly realize that our desires are going to be checked along the way. Are you only following Jesus because when it's easy, it's easy to follow Jesus? Are you only following Jesus because when you get caught in the crack of life and you don't know how to get out, you're sort of like Peter, you begin to sink in the water and you cry out for help and Jesus comes and pulls him out? Um, are we fair-weather Christians or when our desires are challenged? Am I making sense? Am I, am I really praying and serving God a lot because I, I just want to be blessed and I want to have a lot of people and I want to have this and I want to have that? You know, you've not mentioned the word die yet. It's just have. Now, please understand, you're, if God can get stuff through you, he'll get stuff to you. But I, found, I have found out that the way God gets, gets stuff through me, you know what I'm saying by that? It's when I come a, become a vessel and I'm not holding on to stuff. I'm just allowing him to use me to be a blessing with stuff. I, I don't have time to tell you um, my, about my family and how God just uses my family incredibly. And people don't know it. Because you don't tell everybody. On the other hand, when you realize that if God can get something through you, he'll just keep pumping it in. Because he knows you're just blessing others with it. So my desires, my desires must always be checked. Third thing, very quickly. <clears throat> disciples make more disciples. Listen to what Andrew did. One of the two who heard John speak, John the Baptist and followed Jesus. His name was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother. So as soon as he started following Jesus, the first thing he did was run and find his brother and said, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Disciples make disciples. That's why Jesus said before he ascended, um, therefore, Go into every nation, baptizing in the name of the na name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and making disciples. Go make disciples. Why? Because disciples make disciples. Jesus has called us all. Now we go and make disciples. I know that's tough because 
We, don't, we live in a culture where there's so much cynicism, that there's so much unbelief, and there's so much criticism against the church and against Christianity. And listen, rightfully so, we've not been very good Christians. <laughs> but we must share our faith, even with a cynical world. You may be the one they laugh out first when you share your faith, but when you continue to live your faith, you'll begin to be the one they trust the most. I promise you. I'm not proud of this, but when I was in high school, you know, believe me, there was a reason I ran to the altar every, every service. And my um, dad was a very strong discipline in my life. So when I rebelled, I rebelled big because I already knew the punishment was going to be big. So, I, you know, I was all in on everything. And uh, in the school that I was at at the time, um, we would go out on Friday nights. And again, I'm not proud of this. I'm not, I'm not condoning this. This is just, this is just real. It's who I was. But I would go out and, and partake of the world too much. Need I say more? Okay, so when, we, when there'd be a whole basement full of teenagers, I mean, packed, ha you know, half the football team would be there. We'd all go out after the football game, and whether we won or lost, we were still going to party. And we all would go to this uh, friend's house. He had a huge basement. We'd be playing ping pong and drinking way too much. But at some point, because everybody knew I was a preacher's kid, and they at least knew that I got saved every service, At some point in a drunken stupor, somebody would say, hey, McLeod, what's that one scripture? And I, inebriated, would say, okay, I need everybody to sit down. And they'd stop playing ping pong. And they, they would sit down and a drunk, would tell inebriated teenagers about Jesus Christ. Now, please, even if you're watching, I really, I really, um, this is not a training method. What, what this is, is Jesus meets you where you are, and, and you start making disciples, whether you know it or not. Because it took me a few years to find out, but two of those guys on the football team are preachers. And I'm not saying it's because of that service. Most of us don't remember that service. I remember them, because even though I half inebriated, I was thinking, oh man, I got to have something to say right now. So I just kept thinking of all the stuff my dad had been telling me for years. And I was preaching hell hot right there and didn't even know it. Because they would... When it, it got to the point, here's what I'm getting at. You, we live in a cynical world, but even, in, even when you think, I don't have anything to offer, just try. Because it got to the point when the football team would pray before every game. It wasn't even a question. McLeod, lead us in prayer. See, because when they, when they know... When they know you can't trust Christians, but then when they see one who's not afraid to tell you, but then not afraid to live it, that you become the one they trust. You become the one they turn to. You become the one they, when their life gets in a pinch. And see, immediately, we don't know that Andrew was a perfect believer. What we do know is he had been following John the Baptist. He was looking for the Messiah too. Can I just tell you something? Even in a cynical world, people are looking for the answer. And the answer has not changed. Still Jesus. So what happens? Andrew runs immediately to his brother because he knows his brother's been looking too. He may have been the linebacker on the football team. We don't know. But what we do know is when he sees Peter, the first thing he tells him is, hey, I think we found somebody better than John the Baptist. No. I think we found a better preacher than John the Baptist. No. I think we found a better ministry where we're going to get a better platform with, 
than we did with John the Baptist. John the Baptist never let us preach. I think this guy might, no, 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 no. We have found the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so Peter comes. And I find this interesting because the the next step very quickly, and you have to just get ready for this, disciples will get a new name. How many would, would like to be known by something else, by something other than you're probably known for? I don't know. I'll, we'll have to let that sink in for a little bit. Some of you are just hoping that never catches up with you. See, Peter's name, he was a son of John. He said, you are Simon, son of John. But you shall be called Cephas, which means stone. Peter means stone. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus always sees something in you that you don't see yet. Jesus sees something in you that you don't even realize is there yet. Jesus desires to pull something out of you. Because if any of us there, if any disciple that Jesus chose, even a year into the ministry, If you would have asked any disciple there, (laughs) who's Jesus going to use on the day of Pentecost? They would not have said Peter. Because Peter, if Peter lived in today's culture, he would probably be diagnosed bipolar. Why? Because he was up one day and down the next. He was in the boat one minute and out of the boat the next minute. See, we, and we all sort of make fun of Peter because he was impulsive. He, he, he spoke too quickly, didn't listen long enough. And he stuck his foot in his mouth, got everybody in trouble on a regular basis. If you've never heard a lot of messages on, on Peter, you've, you've missed it. Because I'm telling you, he was, he was a man who could get into trouble quick. But, but Jesus has the audacity to look at the impulsive, loud mouth, always getting in trouble, and saying, yeah, you're, I'm going to start calling you solid. I'm going to start calling you the rock. Are you understanding what I'm saying? See, you, you look at your life right now. Listen, this might be where we stop right now. I don't know. If you're looking at your life right now and say, Pastor, I've tried to follow Jesus, but my past, you don't understand. Jesus wants to give you a new name. Now, don't go, this doesn't have to get goofy. Okay, don't be lining up trying to, okay, Lord, what's my new name? What's my new name? Because then we'll have a nickname for you. What do I mean by a new name? How about redeemed? John, who are you in Christ? I'm redeemed. When I was lost and broken, he bought me back. He didn't care about how silly I looked when I was a teenager. He didn't care about how many times I I messed things up. He didn't even care that I probably didn't even get the right scriptures in place when I was drunk. You say, well, Pastor, are you saying he doesn't care? No, he's about redeeming. He didn't come to condemn the world. I want to just throw something out there and say, I sometimes wish Jesus, I think Jesus sometimes would wish that we would be as bold as some drunks. I think he might use a few people who we would look at and scorn. He'll use them quicker because they're they're more apt to get up. Okay, I don't know why I'm doing this, but here we go. I've got nothing to lose. I already don't have a reputation. Let's roll. Now, why, why is that important for us? Not because I want you to leave here and do something foolish. It's about looking at your past and realizing that God's got a purpose. You're not defined by that anymore. That in Jesus Christ, he sees where you can go and what you can be. And he's still doing that work in you. When you understand that you're redeemed and you're saved, that that gives you a new name. 
He does that a lot throughout the word of God. He changed Jacob's name to Isaac. Jacob meant surplanter. Jacob meant that he was a a traitor. He would supplant. He would scheme. He was a schemer. Uh, Actually, the, the word in the Hebrew means heel grabber. They would name children in the circumstances that were taking place when they were born sometimes. And he and Esau were twins. And Esau came out of the womb first. But Jacob had a hold of his heel. So they named him Heel Grabber. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful name to have to explain to all the visitors? They're both beautiful kids. We called him Heel Grabber. Jacob, schemer. Now, what does that mean? Some of you may be heel grabbers. Some of you may be schemers. Some of you may have backgrounds nobody even knows about. This is not about doing background checks for the kingdom. It's about he already knows, but he's got a new name. Redeemed, saved. Very quickly. I've got a few more and I'm I'm almost done. Can you stay with me for five more minutes? He even uses people who are not always looking. Sometimes he'll use us as disciples to go get disciples, but sometimes he calls disciples who are not even expecting Jesus to show up. Who in the world are we talking about here? Well, when you look at how that God, the next day it says, decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. It doesn't say he walked up and called Philip. He found Philip. That means he was looking for him and said, follow me. I, I just believe there are some of you in this room, you are running from God, but God just patiently waited for you to sit down somewhere, and he said, listen, I want you to follow me. And you may have even wrestled with it. Or maybe you know someone who continues to wrestle with it. Don't give up on them. God, in his own way, knows how to get us in a place where even when we try to wrestle like Jacob did, he already knows who wins. I hope I'm making sense this morning. And I'm just talking to all of us what it means to be a disciple. It means God, God's, if, you're not, if you're here this morning and you've not been following Jesus, he's looking for you. He's searching for you. He found Philip. He said, follow me. He turns and he says, listen, I want you to to know that too, they're part of something bigger than themselves. Now we know this, this only makes sense. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And then Philip goes, and what does Philip do? Because disciples make disciples. He finds Nathan, Nathaniel. And he said to him, we have found him who Moses and the law and the prophets wrote of, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, now Nathaniel basically says, what in the world? Because he's the skeptic. What in the world can come out of Nazareth? Okay. Now, I want to be careful because I don't know where everybody in this room is from. But that, that's sort of like saying, what in the world could come out of Pongo? What in the world could come out of South Norfolk? What in the world could come out of this neighborhood? What in the world could come out of there? So he comes to Jesus. And see, sometimes we get caught up in Jesus needing to be who we want him to be. But I love Jesus' response. (laughs) Because we we persevere through opposition. But Nathaniel comes to him and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, there's just some there's going to be some people who just don't want to give. That's okay. You can't make them. You just have to get them to a point where they see Jesus. That's what we were talking about last week, about us having a voice and, and, and having a place for that voice and having a perfect purpose for that voice. Why? Because we're just trying to get people to see Jesus. Because what happens when he sees Jesus? You see, there, there's... A life that can be changed. Listen to what happens. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. 
Now, that was not a backhanded compliment. What he's saying there is, here comes a man who doesn't hold anything back. Here comes a man who says exactly what he thinks. Here comes a man that if he's questioning who I am, you heard it. He's not hiding behind his words. Here comes a man who says what he means and means what he says. But then he says, Nathaniel, um, how do you know me, Jesus? Well, before Philip called you, I already saw you. Now, there's so much here that I'm trying to squeeze in very quickly. Before the first person you ever reach out and talk to, Jesus already knows they're there. The next person that you have a conversation with or the next person you try to just be a light so people can shine Jesus, you didn't find them in the darkness. Jesus has already seen them, and he's just waiting for you to go there. See, it's, it's just so important for us to know we're not in this by ourselves. He's already at work. And they may even kick back and say, come on, you're talking trash. You're, especially in this culture. We live in a very difficult culture right now because everybody has their own truth. So when you speak, it's just going to be your version to them. What makes a difference is when they see you live it out under persecution. When they see you walk it out. Because when they do come into contact with Jesus, and the way that happens now, it might be supernatural, it might be visions, but in most cases, it's just going to be hearing the word. And when people hear the word, you experience this all the time, I hear this all the time, I'm saying these one words out of this message, but you're all hearing it, how the Holy Spirit is speaking it to you in your seat. It's all hitting you all differently, I promise. Same, same message. Because whenever we've questioned Jesus, Jesus, how do you know me? Oh, I know you, John. He doesn't even have to say anything else. Whenever the Lord says, you're asking me if I know you, I just stop right there. Because I know he knows. And it's not about judging, it's about loving. Because I saw you when you were under the fig tree, I, I saw you. He goes on to say, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Suddenly there's a revelation. See, all these disciples were approached in different ways and connected with G Jesus on different levels, all different personalities. Why? Not because Jesus was trying to give us a bird's eye view that we're all a little bit different in the kingdom. Uh, that's obvious. Look around. <laughs> On the flip side, what he's trying to show us is he can do a work in any of our lives when we are following him. It, lastly, and I'm closing, a disciple knows that Jesus is the only way. The only way. Because he tells Nathaniel, he said, listen, if this is how you have known me as the truth, truly, truly. In the King James, it'll say something like this, verily, verily. Um, there's not really an English term that helps this get any more um, understandable, except, listen, I really, really, really mean this. You're going to see greater things. That's what Jesus was saying. You think you've seen something now. Wait till you see what's coming. Now, and he says specifically greater things. There has to be a revelation that Jesus is the answer for us. Ray Ortland says this, we're not saying that Jesus is one good way among others. We're not saying that he's the best way among others. We're saying that Jesus is the only way. See, we're, we're not living this because we want the world to try it out. Kick the tires. See if you like this. Because if you like this, this might be a good fit. We're not saying there's plenty of ways and, you know, you guys find your own. We live in a world that wants that. The difficulty you and I bring to the table is we have a conviction. We've made an allegiance. We are following after, and our names have been changed by the only 
way. Jesus Christ. So listen, as we pray, and I, I ask my, Michael to put some of these questions up on the screen. I just want you to ask and pray about these this week. We can put, this, put them up on, um, on the website. If you have your cameras, you can take a picture right now. And just, just, just get them, because I want you to pray about these. First of all, are you a disciple? I want to be a disciple. How are you tempted to compartmentalize following Jesus? How are you? Do you make him a hobby instead of a whole life commitment? Who has God placed in your life that you can help grow? Pastor, I am just really overwhelmed at work. I don't have time for anybody. Please, don't ever say that to Jesus. You can say that to me, but don't ever say that to Jesus. Jesus has a way of making room in your life, and it gets uncomfortable. On the other hand, when you're willing to lay some things down to follow him, he'll put people in your way, but it's not for you to carry the weight. It's for you to be a vessel. He'll do the work. So what have I done to compartmentalize? Secondly, invite a new disciple. Philip said, come and see to a skeptical Nathan. Who do you need to say this to? Now, please, I know, I know that we're in COVID. I know that we're in a pandemic. I know that we're all waiting on vaccine, right? <clears throat> Some of you who will remain nameless have already gotten yours. la di da <clears throat> um, vaccine's coming, but listen, um, vaccine or no vaccine, people still need to know about Jesus. Um, so when we say invite people, it's not just, here's where we've got discipleship a little bit mixed up. We've only made it about inviting them to church, inviting them to a building, and, and, and hoping I'll say something that'll resonate. You know what really resonates? When you're having a conversation with them and they feel like they're connecting because you're just sharing a real need in your life, a real issue in your life, and God's helping you through it. Now, I know this may be a lot of pressure for people who are like, I'm just not good. You're breathing heavy. I'm not good at sharing Jesus Christ. Listen, your house can be a place where people just get together, two or three people, and have a small group. You don't, you don't have to say a thing, just have cookies. Cookies in a house. All right? Okay, brownies. I'm, I'm gonna go with brownies. Have cookies and brownies, and maybe some banana pudding, and I'll be having my group at your house. Okay? Now, here's what I'm saying we all play different parts, we all have different aspects of the body that come together. So you may not always be the mouthpiece, but there is a part that you play. So who will you reach out to? Grow a disciple. Who is it that you're going to start nurturing and pouring yourself into? Listen, I'm challenging you because this should be happening. And if it's not happening, you know, and this is a very interesting point that I want some of you to catch real quick. None of these disciples bowed down when they saw Jesus and said, we accept you as Lord of Lords. We accept you as the King Please forgive us of our sins. No. They just knew he was the Messiah, and they started following him. There's going to be people that start coming to your small group, or they start attending church, or they start hanging out with you, that they still haven't really decided to follow Jesus, but they're following Jesus and don't even know it. You know, don't, don't corner them and say, accept him and pray this prayer with me or you're not really following. No, don't do that. Because you'll be surprised at how close they're getting because it's, it's growth. Something's happening. Am I making sense? I, kn I know you can read. I just want to walk this through with you real quick. Pray for yourself as a disciple. Pray for yourself that you will resist compartmentalizing and the drift of Jesus as a hobby. And that you will follow him in every aspect of your life. Guys, practice that. When you get up out of bed in the morning, make him first. When, you, when you're driving down the street, make him first. When you, when you go into the store, 
Make him first. When you get to work, make him first. Make him every aspect of your life. Students, when you're, when you're in class, make him first. When you're doing your work, make him first. When you're studying, make him first. Wow, that, that's a lot of pressure. Well, make him second. How's that working for you? Make him third. Now you're compartmentalizing. I'm not saying that to condemn. I'm just saying when you put him first, can I say one more thing? It's 1117. I'll be done at 1120. (laughs) Americans typically in this culture are very lazy. Our work ethic rises to the occasion of a microwave. We want to push the simplest buttons, and we want to get the most response. Well, pastor, to me, that's being a good steward. It is if you're cooking a meal. But when you're developing your soul, God wants to do a work in you, and it's not microwavable. That means you're going to have to walk through some stuff. If you want to, I know, um, I'm not saying I'm a great preacher, but I know what I know. It wasn't through osmosis. I didn't get a download from heaven. I read books every week. I read multiple articles every week. Why? Because it doesn't come miraculously. Read, study, prepare yourself. Because God wants to use you And he can't just be a part of your life. He's got to be the life. Pray for the courage and the conviction to invite new new would-be disciples and the follow-through to help others grow as disciples. Now, there's not a lot of steps with this, but let's all stand. There's not a lot of steps involved with that, but I just want you walking that out, thinking about it, reading it through the week, praying through it. Why? Because I guarantee you this week, God's going to allow you to cross paths with somebody. There may be somebody that you already are thinking of. And listen, true confessions, you don't have to raise your hand, but usually when we're already thinking of them, there's already, oh, not them. Because the Lord already knows that you have a little bit of an issue with them. That means he's doing double duty in you and in them. (laughs) There's a reason that James and John were called the sons of thunder. They got along in a loud way, okay? I just want to encourage you that when you leave here today, just be be willing to walk this out. Be willing, whatever it looks like, be willing just to reach out to people around you. Be willing to touch the lives around you. It's more important that we have lives that are maturing and growing than just great services. It's preparing people for great service. Can we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you, Lord. I bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray an anointing over them today, Lord, that your word would not return void, but but move into their hearts, move into them, Father. And Lord, even for for many at times, the the initial call brings a little pain. There's an awakening that takes place. There's a reckoning that takes place. But God, I pray that as we leave this place, you realize it's not for condemnation, it's not for pain, it's not for misery, it's for your glory. Lord, I just desire, Father, that you help us to realize that our lives become light in people's lives, that you use us in incredible ways when we just step out, follow you, hear your voice, follow you, reach that person, follow you. There may be people that turn their backs on us, but Lord, we're following you, not their approval. And so, Lord, however you're speaking to us today, use us. Continue your work in us, and we give you the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Hope to see you again next week. Have a wonderful day, and be safe out there. Amen.
This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.